0: All right, well, let's get started. Uh, first of all, I want to thank um, you guys last time. You waded through so much history last time, you were just swimming, you were up to your eyeballs in, in stones <laughs> and, and temple platforms and things. Uh, and, and we're going to have a little bit more uh, history on this one. Uh, I hope it's not quite as much, but I want to, because we were able to get through so much history last time, we kind of set the table uh, as, as uh, Herod would do. We, we built the platform on which we can build uh, the things that we're going to do now. Um, and so I want to now kind of put the, how, how the Jews saw the temple, and particular and how Jesus saw the temple, and then especially how the first generation of the church saw the temple. And, and we're going to look at it through our eyes, through their eyes, so that you can kind of put that uh, together. Okay, So, one of the things that we get from uh, Jesus is kind of a mix here. Um, and so, as I, as I was doing all of the studying on this, I kind of tried to synthesize it into kind of what was jumping out to me. Uh, because there, I have to tell you, in getting ready for this lesson this week, the, the more I dug, the more there was. <laughs> and the more I went, the more there was. And, and the, the more I went, the deeper it got, and the more extensive it got. And trying to somehow stop drinking out of a fire hose and get a, at least a little cup that we can bring in here was tough. Uh, so uh, here's what I came up with. Uh, the ministry of Jehovah in the heavens and Jesus in the flesh is eternally linked to the temple the ancient sanctuaries and rituals of Israel were the most constant vibrant symbols to the people of his ministry on both sides of the veil to his disciples the temple and the law of Moses provided a clear path to begin to understand that mission, his mission. And it helped them better recognize that he was who he claimed to be. Mm -hmm. So, it helped to find their path, their way, to to one day join him in the heavenly Jerusalem waiting above. And in in a second we'll talk about the the heavenly Jerusalem that was to descend uh, and whether or not it had a temple or not um so so let me let let me begin kind of with a with a question here so as you think of the temple what aspect of it symbolizes and symbolism teaches you about the savior's mission i know oftentimes we just we're going to the temple we got an afternoon we're going to get it done we're going to go in the morning we're going to get it done we work in the temple we're trying to make sure everything is filled and taken care of and all those kind of things so when you think about the temple what is it about that that teaches you about more about his mission yeah that the of the temple written, to it. Yeah, meaning what? Why was it important that that veil be rent? And then and, and in, uh, in the next few weeks, we're going to begin talking about the last week of the Savior's life. And that's going to come in. there. But why? Why was that critical? You know, have, you're to have <laughs> she, she says, you're supposed to have the answers to that. Because it was rent. What was the symbolism of the temple being rent?
1: Before it was rent, only the high priest could go in there. That's
0: right. And so
1: after that, it's open.
0: The- if, if the temple is rent, if the veil is parted, now who can go in? Anybody. And, by, and we're going to see over and over and over, and I want to emphasize this, because yes, we're looking at there, but you're going to be looking at it as temple-going Latter-day Saints looking at that. One of, the, one of the powerful things, subtle but incredibly powerful, about what Joseph restored to the earth was the fact that we all become high priests. Men and women become high priests who can pass through the veil and go to a place where only the high priest of Levi could go. And Paul's going to go, Now he was the real high priest. And he's bringing you with him. We're all doing that. Yeah
2: much because I don't know how much I can say but
0: anyway, serving in an issue President Jones will stop you if you go too far
2: <laughs> I just won't say it
3: but working, serving in an issue like,
0: yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah those words that are said I
2: always think back but I also
3: it's such a beautiful thing for us to be able to go through those ordinances and to be connected to the Savior
0: that's right and so hope but but we're being connected to the savior by the symbolism by the workers by the architecture of the building by the rituals themselves are all echoes and are, are to point us towards him in some very specific ways okay yeah so
3: the rending of the garment that they did frequently whenever they met a moment or an event of
0: grief yeah i have lost my family <laughs> and then they rip that open. Yeah. And in this
3: case, the veil is rent and the veil is symbolic of a garment as well. And these guys are going to recognize that it is through tremendous grief that this
0: And sorrow. Yes. Yeah. You're, You're getting there. I want you to think symbolically and you're going right down the right places. Yeah.
1: You know, the temple is like the sacrament, in that the sacrament has physical elements, the bread and the water. and uh, But those elements are metaphors, you know, you know, for Christ himself and for what he has, you know, to feed us so we'll never thirst again. But the temple is just one metaphor after another. It is physical metaphors, though, and as we, like the garment, it's a metaphor for our covenants, but there's just metaphor after metaphor after metaphor, and they're physical, they're tangible, they're things that every time we see them, we can think about them, and then it prompts us. Uh, But also, they are similar to other experiences, so uh, as, as we meditate or ponder upon these metaphors, everything
0: just starts coming together the one the one one of the aspects of the temple that we have to be really careful with is the fact because it is repetition it it, you can easily be have be worried about war dinner coming tonight go to the temple go through an entire session and still be worried about the war dinner tonight and go through the motions, but never have thought through the metaphors, the symbolisms, and the things that we're doing. Roll out of the temple, still be focused on the war dinner tonight, and it's almost like you weren't there. You, you check the box. Uh, because, because it is repetition, and it takes some energy and work to be able to say, what does that symbol mean? And why are we doing that? And what purpose does that serve? And how does that, what does that tell me about the Savior? Being present. And we got to be present in it. Yeah. Kind of mindful of those things that are, are there. Okay. And that's why I'm hoping, that's so why I'm taking a little bit longer on this because this is where it came from, brothers and sisters. This, the stuff we're doing in the temple now, this is where it came from. This is where Joseph and inspiration and guidance was drawing from this rich symbolism and then the restoration of the things that were added to it. The, even, the clothes that we wear, the things that we say, the altars we worship, this is where it comes from. And I'm hoping that by doing this, that our temple worship becomes more full uh, as we see this and see the symbolism and go, yeah, wait a minute, that's just like, okay, yeah. Um,
1: there was one time, <laughs> only one time, I'm sad to say, that, that I profoundly remember um, being taught like, what something meant. Um, it was uh,
3: I won't tell you, this
0: exactly,
3: but I'll tell you what the Lord taught me um, that it, it meant that as a vessel of the Lord he poured in things to me
0: yes. and I was to put them out to others um, Th- that a vessel will hold things until it's time for it to be given somewhere else you know, I and you were feeling a little empty at the moment, were you? Yeah. Okay. I, I, you know, I, would, I would,
3: you know, as much as I give you,
0: you need to give back out. Too. So yeah. It, it just goes through you me to A number of you remember Hilton Kennedy. And uh, when he was... Uh, when, when he was uh, still here in, our, in uh, the Plano First Ward uh, and I would sit in high priest group with him or after or something like that and we took him on a cruise and all kinds of things and I would say to him, Hilton, what does this mean? And he'd say, I can't tell you. <laughs> you have to come up with it on your own. <laughs> no, come on. If I get you in the temple, will you? No, I won't tell you. You know, we just go back and forth on that because we're supposed to get it. It means something different to each one of us. Um, all right. So, so with these kind of in mind, then, let's, let's, let's step backwards just a little bit, and I'm going to fill in a little bit more history as we kind of put this together, okay? Now, as the, as the uh, children of Israel are in Egypt, and they come out of Egypt, and they travel from there to Mount Sinai, Uh, Exodus 6 is there's a covenant being made by the Lord to his people and he's going to say to them I will take you as my own people and I will be your God then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians so all of this rests upon the idea that there was a covenant relationship God to Israel so the people in Israel really caught up and understood that they, they were special people, that God had made a covenant with them. They were his. And that and he was gonna require some things of them. Now, we, we remember that, again, uh, they, they went to Sinai, uh, the fire of the Lord, the Shinakah uh, that was up here. We'll talk about that in a sec. Um, Was enough there, and Moses said to them, Come on up, I want to get all of you into the presence of God. Doctrine and Covenant says that was Moses' greatest hope, he could get his people, his covenant people, into the presence of God. And the covenant people said, What? Oh, I don't think so. That's a little scary. You do it, we'll stay here. Yeah, this is. I'm not sure where, you know, we're going to get fried. Okay, so we'll hang out down here. You go do it. Let us know what he said. Okay, and then he said, okay, then I will give you the law of Moses where only the chief priest goes into the Holy of Holies. Everybody else waits outside. You made the call. It was your goal. Okay, but still coming out of there, and even as they prepared... Uh, after 40 years of wandering around and they prepared to cross the Jordan, there was still a sense of we're coming into the land of Canaan as his people. This is our promised land. It goes back to Abraham and, and we're his covenant people. So when, uh, when they build the tabernacle according to his directions in the wilderness, there's going to be three things that tell them they're the covenant people. When you have these three things, God is with you. Number one, you, if you're, if you're going to have God's approval, first of all, you have a prophet. God speaks to his prophet who speaks to us. We are his people because his spokesperson is with us. That's comforting, isn't it? Okay. So we know that, that that will happen. We see Moses. He's, he's visual. Okay. Now, next one is uh the shanaka the the divine presence at which for them was often very physical and literal they saw the lights they saw the smoke they saw the fire on top of sinai we're going to build the tabernacle we're going to put it in the wilderness and what happens when we build it the fireworks come. <laughs> you know, the cloud, the light, the power. God is in his tent. He's here. We know because we can see the smoke. We see the fire. We see the light. And it's, and it's a very visual kind of thing. Is he over there with the Canaanites? Nah, he's here. We can see his, he's left the lights on. <laughs> okay, okay. Which, by the way, if you think of two other events, Moses of the burning bush and Joseph Smith in the garden, they both talk about lights, fire. Joseph in the, in the grove said uh, he was surprised that the leaves didn't start on fire. because He saw celestial burnings that came. It's the same thing that Lehi reports. It's the same thing that Jacob reports. There's celestial burnings. And, that, and that's this Shekinah, okay? Or Shekinah, okay? So we know he's here. The third one is a physical presence. If God is going to come, you've created his house, he's coming in glory and power and everything, and he's going to come into his house, where does he sit? Where does he dwell when he's visiting his house? Hallelujah. In, inside the Holy of Holies, great. There's the, there's the room. Where does he sit? The mercy seat. Well, absolutely. He's going to sit on the, the Ark. The Covenant sits underneath in the box, in the Ark. And then his actual resting place is the Mercy Seat. Okay? He's going to sit on the covering, the kaporah, The covering that sits on, on top of that. So it's nice to know not only... Um, is he here we see him but he's going to have a place to sit and where he sits is a place of mercy yeah uh, so I to the of <laughs> oh congratulations um, so. So, so you got so when you went through the temple you got all of this right you, you, you went through you went oh now the gospel makes perfect sense to me
3: <laughs>
0: yeah Um, it's funny we've kind of done two things with the Holy of Holies Uh, one thing that in terms of how modern churches use it in some ways the Holy of Holies is where the prophet can go to pray and there are very few of those these days in the old pioneer temples because the prophet might come to one of those they build a Holy of Holies Um, anybody ever been in the uh, Manti Temple Okay, how many been to a ceiling in the blue room in the Manti Temple? Okay, Calvin, what's in the blue room of the Manti Temple? It's been so many years. I, I know. <laughs> okay, in the blue room of the Manti Temple, the altar does not sit in the middle of the room. The altar sits in a, in a recessed, alcoved area, and the altar is right there. Okay. That's because that was the Holy of Holies for the Manti Temple. And when you, if you get a chance to go to the ceiling in the Manti Temple, and you go to the, the blue ceiling room, there's an unusual spirit in that place because that's where the prophet, if Brigham Young was in town, that's where he goes. Okay. Now, these days, though, in terms of the way that they would look at it, where's the Holy of Holies in our temples? The Celestial Room we have actually come we're, gonna, we're going to make covenants and promises and then literally at the end God's going to bring us into his presence and we're going to walk into the celestial room which was the holy of holies and, and you were able to do it two days ago back then only the high priest could do it because that was the way that these Israelite temples were set up Joseph was bringing it to everybody okay um but that idea was that that inside that tabernacle was the mercy seat because God dwells in mercy. Which is kind of a cool thing, right? Now, so then then we're able to move the tabernacle we get into Israel for 400 years, the Ark of the Covenant is in Bethel, and there it is, but there's no temple to really put it in. And then finally David wants to build a temple, and as we learned last time, what is he told? Nah, you got too much blood on your hands. Your son's going to do it. So he's going to gather all the materials together. This is during the height of the... This is the kind of the Camelot of Israel, you know, the highest moment, and everything is united, and they're the, actually the biggest... Strongest people in the land under under King David, and then he's going to pass it to Solomon the Great, Solomon the Wise. Solomon is able to then have the temple built. Uh, he then stands at the conclusion of it, and he dedicates it with arm raised. Uh, and then Chronicles seven says this: When Solomon had finished praying. Fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. The glory of the Lord had filled the temple. It had returned. The glory and the power of God was there. The priest could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. When all the people of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, his mercy endures forever. And they could have said, And he is our God, and we are his people." There is a physical manifestation that God has come to dwell with his people. And it's right there. We can't miss it. Okay? So so now that's what makes uh, the uh, Solomon Temple so powerful because it's God's house. And now we have a place to put the Ark of the Covenant and God's mercy seat. and And it dwells right there. Okay? Now... However, over time, next couple hundred years, it slowly becomes more wicked, the people become less his, uh, the, the uh, glory cloud of fire is not there and then ultimately what's going to happen Josiah is making a last ditch attempt to try and pull everybody together as we know and so then we get all those Josian reforms and they, and they take out all and anybody worshipping, anybody anywhere else but the temple and it's there and we got the scriptures and it can only be the scriptures and there's no prophets because we're going to if we will just study the scriptures more we will be saved even if we're doing wicked stuff And then Babylon comes in and destroys Jerusalem just as Lehi is leaving town. So then they are stranded in a foreign land. This is where we get uh, Jeremiah and all of that, where Jeremiah is saying, only if we would have just. And Ezekiel is saying, here we are stranded on the river outside the city of Babylon. Woe is us, and we weep for Zion. Zion. Because we didn't, we were his people, and we kind of spit in his face. And Ezekiel's saying, "I wish you guys had listened to me." And Jeremiah is going, "I wish you guys had listened to me." And there they are. Okay, and Lehi's already out of town. So they come back. They build a small temple of Zerubbabel. Uh, there's no fireworks. There's no excitement. Herod is going to come along and try and expand it beginning in about 20 B.C. He will start to rebuild this thing. He's going to make it more beautiful and spacious. And Herod, like we talked about last week, Herod had his own plans. This is a pilgrimage site. Uh, People are going to come from all over to come see this, and they're going to bring their money with them. But, and maybe you'll really think I'm a real Jew yeah. by then because I did this great thing for you. Uh, and it's going to be this monumental uh, monument to my name. And everybody responded to it just a little bit differently. But there were some realities about Herod's temple that was unsettling. Who were the prophets? there were none the closest we're getting to is someone like Hillel the elder comes in from Babylon he's a great rabbi and he's a great explainer of what's in the Torah is he seeing himself as a prophet no there are little minor false prophets that show up but for the most part here we are we have this great spacious brand new cool temple and no prophets What about the Holy of Holies? Yeah. I just got a
2: chilling thought. That's when John the Baptist
0: came to him. Ooh, boy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He said, look at you guys. And even if someone like John the Baptist is showing up, remember, they, that's a good point. Um, who did they think John the Baptist was? Elijah. Yeah, we don't know. Wait a minute. Maybe this could be like prophets of old. It could be Elijah. He's out there in the wilderness like that. He's not doing any great miracles, but he's out there. Who do we think he is? Well, he could be, he might be, are the prophets coming back? And that's the question. And why would they think that? Yeah, because remember, even at Caesarea Philippi, Jesus is saying to his disciples, who do you guys think I am? Well, some think you're John. Really? Okay. And some think you're Elijah. Well, who you think I am? Well, we think you're the Christ. Okay? So, there's no prophets. What's in the holy of holies? It's, it's empty. The holy of holies in Herod's temple was empty. It might have had a little lamp burning. But remember for Zechariah when, he, when he's finding out about John being that John's going to be born and it's his turn to be the high priest and he walks into the Holy of Holies. He's walking into a dark spooky place. There's nothing going on there. Maybe a lamp. But it's pretty dark. So when the angel shows up to Zacharias to say you're going to have John that no wonder he had to say well it's okay. <laughs> Fear not. Well it's dark and it's spooky and this you know but there's nothing here. The Ark of the Covenant is long gone. Where's the Ark of the Covenant? <coughs> Go ahead and say it. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's in the warehouse in Washington, D.C. Yeah, have you seen the movie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah if, if you are an Ethiopian, where is, the, where is the Ark of the Covenant? We have it here, it got hauled off over here, okay? Um, we don't know it's gone the crusaders in the mid in the uh middle ages thought that a might solomon might have hid it underneath the temple mount that there was a mound of there was a hidden cave underneath the temple mount where all that stuff is hidden that's one of the reasons why they dug so much they were looking for hidden treasure and specifically the temple treasures that's what they were after they thought it might be there um these days, what are the chances of digging and excavating underneath that temple mount? As Matthew Gray at BYU said, not in my, not in my lifetime. <laughs> it just ain't going to happen because the Dome of the Rock sits right on top of that. Okay? But the Holy of Holies was empty. There was no mercy seat. There's no Ark of the Covenant. Well, what was the other sign that God was among his people? The Shekinah. Oh. But there's no lights. There's no clouds. There's no fire. So if you're a Jew back then, wouldn't that raise a question? What about this temple? And specifically, are we still His? are we still his covenant people? Because all of those sem- we saw the temple, we're still doing the law of Moses but there's no Shekinah, there's no Ark of the Covenant, there's no prophets, there's no I don't know, are we his? How would we know?
1: The closest thing they had was the
0: menorah. There's yeah. Uh, we got that we got that menorah in there yeah and it, we had that Hanukkah thing happen when the Maccabees took over that was kind of cool oh we checked our genealogy we're still sons of Abraham so, and, and we, so, so part of it is they've got to do that right exactly part of it is uh, you know as Jesus is challenging them a little bit they're going to stand really firmly on what dang it we are the sons of Abraham we are heirs to all of Abraham's promises and then wait till we, get to the new, till we get to the Pauline epistles where Paul goes, and so are the Gentiles. <laughs> <laughs> and they're going to go, no way. Yeah, way. That's how that works. They're part of the way, you know. Um, are we still here? How do we know? Yeah. Yeah, they did. And they knew that he was coming. Absolutely. So you had these po- little pockets of people that believed. Guess what? Even the Samaritans. The Samaritan woman knew that the Messiah was coming. They had a different version of what it would look like. He'd be a teacher, not a, not a great prophet. But even then, there was a sense. But there were promises started to be given to people like, like uh, Anna and, and uh, Simeon. We'll talk about them in a second. They had an idea. But by and large, if you're the Sadducees, do you like this temple? Absolutely. Oh, you're, making, you're making a lot of coin over this temple. You're building Roman townhouses out of this temple as you change the money. You like this temple. What if you're a Pharisee? More rural, more country. Do you like this temple? There's no shekinah. There's no... So, and, and, and this has echoes to us, guys. If you are a Pharisee, how do you get God back? He's gone. He hasn't come back yet. We are trying, but it isn't... Out. How do you get God back? Obedience. What kind of obedience? To the law, to the law and more obedience and more laws in other words I'm going to um, the if we are like super obedient he will come back no 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 super 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 obedient he will come back yes and so we're going to be so regimented why because if we are super 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 obedient and we force everybody else who's not super, super obedient to also be obedient with us, maybe we can bring the Shekinah back. Maybe we can bring God's presence back. Maybe we'll be okay. Because what happened the last time the Shekinah went away? Babylon took us out. We've got to protect the city by becoming super, super, super obedient and we don't like what the Pharisees are doing. Okay? By the way, I, in, in, a, in a sense... I sometimes deal with this when I'm working with uh, uh, some of my clients that struggle with uh, pornography. And they're going, I have this addiction and I need to get the addiction gone. How am I going to get rid of the addiction? I will be obedient. The addiction's still here. I will become super, super obedient. The addiction's still here. I will double down. In other words, I'm only going to listen to church hymns And will that make this go away? Nope, didn't. So I'm only going to listen to conference talk and church hymns. Will that make it go away? No, that's not making it go away either. You know, this because it's like massive amount of spirituality will drive out an addiction. It doesn't work. It is an addiction. It needs to be treated as an addiction. But we have this sense that sometimes, whether it's pornography or other aspects of our life, don't we go a bit Pharisee? Can't we have a tendency to go... I have a kid that is leaving the church what if I read what if I, if, if I double down on my book of Mormon reading what if I like triple down on my book of Mormon reading what if I get rid of all the movies that I really like to watch and I watch nothing but conference talks will that bring my son back don't we have a little Pharisee bent in us time to time That we will by a massive amount of obedience, we can slam that on the mercy seat and say, God, you deserve I deserve now for you to give me what I want. You have no choice. You are bound by the massive amount of my magnificent obedience. Well,
2: we miss the point of
0: grace then. We kind of do miss the point of grace. At that point we don't want grace though. We're
3: earning our
0: own. That's right. That's right. I want but I kinda wanna earn it, don't I? Yeah, we don't need to. Don't it. I want to earn it? Because I can control how this goes. He's not gonna get his eagle and we're running out of time. <laughs> if I just pour out more obedience, can I make sure we get him in underneath the wire? Well okay. we did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
3: About, you
2: know,
0: law, time,
2: law, money, Anyway, whatever. You know, rules, rules, rules. Right.
0: You know, the topic now is pulling the rules back and having us be responsible for ourselves. That's kind of a scary idea, isn't it? Because as, as a church, there have been times, and we certainly did it, I think, a bit in the 70s and 80s, we really wanted to go more obedience Pharisee like. Give us the checklist that produce this. And we have a prophet now who's going, why don't you step back from that a little bit and use your free agency and talk to God and find out what he wants you to do rather than the church is going to give you an exact. Because how many times in the church, and we were all guilty of it, right? If you're going to teach a lesson, I want the manual, and I'm going to only ask the question that's in the manual exactly the way it says to ask the question.
3: And only accept the answers.
0: That and made. only accept, ex- that's right. <laughs> Why is faith important to you? We get caught up in that. In that cause, cause that's the t- and so then when they started cutting down the size of the manuals, we go, well, there's not 45 minutes worth of stuff in here. What am I supposed to know? am I supposed to know what questions to ask? Yeah? Well,
1: this, it depends on where your heart is in all of this
3: son that's straying from the gospel and you decide to read your scriptures more because you're searching for answers
0: Yeah. And you right. put on a few more conference talks because you need inspiration and you're yeah. of to the Lord, then that's different. That's a terrific, and because then you're, it's like you're wanting to be in a really good place so that you know how to help. Exactly. Uh, and
1: you, it, can't, you can't just judge somebody who's cramming all that in.
0: Yeah. No, you really don't. No, you really don't. So that's why. So there's. We're supposed to be reading, and we're supposed to be studying. We just have to look at our heart and say, for what purpose are we doing this? That so we can then. Are we doing it because we're grieving? We're having a hard time, and we want to be able to learn. Or are we doing it because, dang it, this should do the trick? Okay. Yeah. And with this
3: new program for the youth.
0: Children yeah. Now. Isn't it, though? And, I mean, it's really pulling back a lot from what I was taught as I was growing up. You have to do this, you have to do this, you have to do this. Now they're making their own goals, choosing how they
2: want to develop.
0: I was watching the kids yesterday in our, in our meeting. We're no, okay, now we're going to take the five minutes and everybody put in your goals. <laughs> and I watch, and I watch these kids going, <laughs> <laughs> and they're looking at their parents going. So, what goal should I put?
3: <laughs> but that was really
0: regimented. I thought. Uh, yeah, it was a little bit regimented, but it still was having to come from that. They're going from listening to how do I put stuff in here. Yeah. What I like is to me they said work as a family, work as a group, have a sociability about things. Yeah. They do. So, so for some of those goals, for some of these kids that don't necessarily fit in, it may come along the line of how do I learn to make more friends, or how do I, I mean, if if we do this right, yeah.
1: Well, when I was growing up, I was raised Lutheran, but. Uh, and I, everywhere I went, whether it was to church or to school, it seems like people were giving me answers, and I didn't have those questions. <laughs> my questions being it was really frustrating. And uh, eventually, I just blew it all off and I said, I gotta follow my own trail. And, uh, and it worked, but it's scary. And, uh, and, and if we, as parents and leaders, can uh, not tell the kids what their goals should be, but to encourage them to think and experiment and try. It. There's no doubt in the mind all
0: will.
1: And what is it that, you know, man is that he might have joy. And uh, it isn't that he can check off all the boxes on the market. Right. And, uh, and I think that uh, when we start experiencing joy, which we will, if we're asking our own questions and finding our own answers, it will help us. Because ultimately we're trying to figure out who we are. You know, are we children of God or not? You know, as the question is, God with us? You know, the real question is, am I with God? Do I have it?
0: Right. Who I am,
1: and uh, anyway, this will, I think, put everyone on the
0: path. Okay, okay. Speaking strictly as a therapist, you know what I'm kind of hoping for with these with these goals on on, on these areas for these kids. I hope they fail at a bunch of them. They will, they? I'm, ho- I'm hoping that they fail at a bunch of them, awesome. because the best moment that ever happens with a parent is, what happened? It didn't work. What would you do differently? Then let's, let's plug in a goal that works better. In other words, learning how to problem solve doesn't mean I win perfectly 100% every time. Ask the Cowboys.
1: <laughs>
0: okay. But what it means is that they do it and they fail and then they go back to the drawing board, recognize what they should have done and could have done, and then they change it and then they win. And they go, wait a minute, winning comes from trying things and it doesn't work and then I make some alterations and that does work. That is the best thing that they learn out of this whole thing. Okay? If we do it as parents, we give them goals, I know they can do this. I'm going to make it so easy, your job is to be able to go in and butter bread. <laughs> you did it you are awesome yeah. <laughs> you know now go in and bake bread oh well that's a different thing you may screw that up the first couple of times that would okay yeah
3: i think sometimes with all these changes they're trying to get us to put our testimony in testimony meeting and not travel-a-money and money and health-a-money and everything else and these kids if they get all this they make theirs all things, they're going to make a
0: testimony. So yeah, but they're going to make their testimony because they're going to have been doing things and they begin to know what didn't work because they tried it. Okay? Um, so their question, as it is for ours, is especially those times when we're feeling separated from God, how do we get him back? We're we're uh, Remember C.S. Lewis, I, I, I always quote his his little line that he says our problem is is that we believe we can do always what we can do sometimes just because we were able to do it sometimes means that we should be able to do it all the time and it turns out that we can't okay so in a sense that's part of the battle you see with the jews and how they approach the temple Um, by the way the other group we're not talking about that that was looking at this temple, was the Essenes and the Zealots, who said, you're all screwed up, we're going out in the desert and we'll wait for God to come there. (laughs) It's all messed up, we'll just wait here. And, and so the, those, those Essenes at Qumran, as the Roman legions were tearing through Jerusalem and they were marching to Masada, they're literally standing at Qumran going, this is the moment when, when God comes and rescues us. Uh, we're pretty happy about the fact that Jerusalem fell and we're glad the temple's burning because it was a bad place anyway. This is the moment. And then they got run over, waiting for that to happen. Alright, so, when we wonder about what did Jesus think of that temple, temple of Herod was the only one that he knew in the flesh. That is a complica- this is a complicated question, and it has a complicated answer. John two sixteen. Take these things, while well, he's cleaning the temple. John has it at the beginning of the, the cleansing, at the beginning. Take these things from this place. Do not make my father's house a marketplace. What is he saying this, this building is? His father's house. The, the one with no shekinah. <laughs> and he entered the temple and began to throw out the sellers. Uh, saying that it is written, my house, my house, my house, will be a house of prayer. It's actually quoting from Psalms 119. But you have made it a den of bandits, and he taught them every day in the temple. You get this sense of Jesus saying, this is a holy place, it's my father's house, it's my house.
1: So even though it has been (laughs) dedicated... To the Lord, or or any right, there had never been any man of the He still recognized it.
0: He was still honoring it, even though it was missing all of these things. He's giving it some level of worship and and actually kind of claiming it as his house. And again, when we're going to talk about in a couple of weeks, the last week, he takes the temple over. That's that. that are, there's a coup coming. They will shut down the temple, him and his followers. That's why they got to get rid of him. Yeah. Uh,
3: the, the the temple was built from the people's perspective for the purpose of their God.
0: Right. And
3: Jesus is there saying, "You built this house to my Father. Now let me show you what needs to be done to prepare it for Him."
0: Yeah. And I'm
3: going to do that with a little here.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. With a little energy, we're going to clean this thing out. It's almost like the temple's initiatories are going, going on in here, right? Because there are some
3: things that need to happen
2: here.
0: I can purify it before it can reach his goal, right? He's accepted it for, for what it is. Purest intentions, what it to yeah, so, so does that make sense? So in terms of what it is, he's still giving them, saying, even though there's a lot of things missing here, and I don't like all that's going on, you're still performing sacrifices the way I asked you to do it at Mount Sinai. You're still trying to do a lot of things. I'm going to honor what you have done so far, and to, to this extent, I will make this temple, my house.
3: So when he shows up, two of the three requirements are met. The prophet has arrived and the glory of God begins to shine.
0: Yeah, hold, hold on to that glory thing. Okay, watch what happens here. Because it's fascinating here and I think we'll have time to do this. Okay, Now, John is going gonna, is gonna to take it one step further. This is where the shift starts to occur. Watch the shift. You're going to watch a shift go from the temple to Jesus. It's going to move from the building to him. And it's going to happen in his lifetime and shortly after. And then Paul will take it and run with it from there. But, John is going to say in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and lived among us in a body this word uh, lived in the, in, the, in the context in here, if you take that in the uh, Septuagint it says the word became flesh and fixed his tabernacle among us the word is tabernacle meaning what? the temple, sure the tabernacle we talk about an earthly tabernacle a tabernacle of clay, you know, all those kind of things. But the term tabernacle, if you're looking at it through Jewish eyes, what tabernacle, does your, where does your brain go? Temple. The wilderness temple. He has, John is saying, he has returned. And instead of a tabernacle of, of a tent, it's a tabernacle of a body. He has returned. so in the first century Jewish Christians how did they see it well Matthew 12 the Lord is going to say to them but I say unto you that in this place and he's standing in the temple in this place is one greater than the temple meaning him The replacement for this temple has arrived, is what he's saying. I am greater than this. There's a shift. Watch watch how this shift goes. Joseph Smith's translation of Matthew. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? They just walked out of the temple, and there were disciples trying to say, Look at this building, and look at this building, and look at it. Isn't that cool? It's like, like they're giving him a tour. Uh, we know you're from Nazareth, so we're going to give you a tour of the temple. Look at all these things. And he says, See ye not all these things, and yet ye not? Understand them? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here upon this temple one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down as great as this temple is it's going to be destroyed now that's kind of a sobering kind of thing this great temple is is going to be destroyed and it will be And what he's not saying is and it will be replaced with me Yeah. is
2: this um, part of his way of going the law of
0: Moses yeah and, and they're, they're going to kind of say that the, he in the law of Moses is the fulfillment of all of that these were law of Moses temples they were built to fulfill the law of Moses and they were built to do the ordinances and rituals of the law of Moses and it's about to be completed and I will be the replacement for this temple that's why this is, is fascinating we get to Acts 2 and it says and they gather daily these, these members after he's been resurrected and he's ascended what are they still doing well they're gathering daily in the temple and they break bread from house to house this is a house church we'll talk about eating their food with gladness and humble hearts and daily the Lord added those who were being saved to their number. In other words, even after he leaves, they are worshiping daily in the temple. They're still cl- staying close to the temple. Even though they now understand about his resurrection as they're still learning. Okay. But then this moment comes. and I, So now let's put it all together. Acts 2 when the day of Pentecost arrived and they were all together in one place there was suddenly a sound from heaven like a rushing wind and it filled the whole house where they were seated tongues like fire appeared to them and rested on them what's just happened? the Shekinah has returned it's retur- the Shekinah has come finally but where did it come? And in what way did it come? It came to? To each one of them. It didn't, in other words, the Shekinah had not descended on a building, it descended on a people. The Lord was saying to them, You are my people. How will you know you are my people? You're going to get mercy through grace. But then how else will I know? Because the fire has descended and descended on people. And descended on them. Now that is a shift. In other words, as important as the temple was, and it served its purpose, now the shift is occurring to the Savior, and especially it's occurring now, the shift is going to is the body of saints which is what Christ, what Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 is trying to say you are the body of Christ and in sense he's saying and you are the temple
1: Kevin okay, doesn't it say that it ascended only on the apostles
0: no it's all that all that were there
1: in, in the, when I was brought up in the Catholic Church it only
0: landed on the apostles is that right the Catholic Church said it was just kind of the twelve yes Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Kind of go back and read that because it says, to everybody assemble. I didn't know that they that they believed that. That's interesting. Yeah. Are you, are you scratching? You scratch, I'll ask. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Can we, can we, can we, can yeah. Can I ask a question? Yeah. So
2: I try to absorb all this information. I know, it's a lot
0: to absorb. Yes, but I, I
2: have a question. Is, um, so I'm writing down like a so God wants His people, His children, to get to know Him. From the very beginning, He He did it. The kind of the first contact through the sh- Shekinah. Uh huh. Okay, my question is, why Shekinah is important? Why He chose to? do that way, and then it seems like to me my question is kind of why do we need this? Is it because we're in a natural man's status? These are necessary and what about now? Uh, to to get to know God is shaken necessary in modern days? Is the touching when when we receive the Holy Ghost? There
0: you go. There you, go. you know,
2: I go. I remember when I was Getting baptized, the confirmation—I still can remember. I was wrapped around a warm blanket. I, I never forget that feeling. So, my question is: Is God? Uh, is the Shekinah, the power of God, has been transformed into another kind of? Sin?
0: <laughs> you got it. There you go. You, you're getting it. Exactly. She. she like Check it out. Yes, you can. <laughs> Nicely done. Yeah, because she's, she's saying that, you know, it, it's interesting, that's the way it happened then in those settings. And isn't it interesting that in a modern sense, when, when Jesus is saying, I have to go so that the Holy Ghost can come, but it comes with celestial burnings, and that the Holy Ghost is the baptism by fire so I like the, I, I really like the idea of it's our own personal shekinah that, that that's a nice way of saying that that's how he works and, and that he's doing it with us individually and he's doing it with regularly as a people and that we can sit in a testimony meeting and start to share and have some level of Pentecost descend upon us as we feel the power of whatever's being said. You'll sit in conference and there may be, you may be sitting in, in your house or I'm gonna be driving around the hill country and, and President Nelson's gonna speak and there might be something about that that fires up my own personal shekinah. You know, I go, I get it, he's, he's true, he, it's real. I have a testimony that what he's rolling out here is I, I had that when the when the uh, when the revelation on blacks and the priesthood came, and I was driving to work later that night and just thinking about it, and then just being overwhelmed by a sense of a prophet has spoken and this is real, and I'm filled with it, and I just want to stop the car and jump out and you know not go work at Seven Eleven all night long. I'm, I'm, this is really really cool, and. The
2: new youth program is basically seek out getting all of the youth then to call and get their own
0: and get get their own testimony and fire
2: develop that
0: relationship. Yeah, I, I I think that's exactly what this is. So th- I just need you to see the significance of what of the shift that is happening as we're going from. Uh, the Old Testament law of Moses to the fulfillment of it and that this power is not going to be centered any longer in a building. It will be centered in a savior and it will be centered then is, in a people. Um, and, and let me take it one step farther and this is jumping, this is jumping about a month and a half ahead. But Paul a- in his discussions with, with the, the saints all over the Mediterranean here's what he's saying in Acts Uh, even though Paul is going to bring man and he's going to purify himself he's going to enter the temple he's still keeping aspects of the law of Moses and he's going to say to Festus in his defense at at, uh, Caesarea I have not sinned against the Jewish law or the temple or against Caesar I have not broken any of the temple laws. I've honored all of that. But, here's what he's going to say in Romans 3. Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, they are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God put forward on the seat of mercy. Now, in, if, you're, if, you're a, if you're a Jew and Paul is saying to you, God put forth uh, Jesus towards the seat of mercy, what did he just turn Jesus into? High the high priest. He is our high priest going in to the only place, into that holy of holies, that Jesus has become the high priest. That's, wow. And the high
1: priest took upon
0: him the sins of the children of Israel. Okay, hold on to that one. Okay, Hebrews. And thus Jesus did not glorify himself and becoming a high priest, but was glorified by the one who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And also in another place he says, listen closely, Jesus. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. There's a whole other lesson there. But let me, just, let me just tell you real quickly, and I won't go into it too deeply. The priests of Levi get to be the priests in the temple. Why? Because of their lineage. The priests of Melchizedek... Our high priests, why? Because they've been called. <laughs> you don't have to, it isn't limited to the lineage. It's limited to those, it is to those that are called. And the priests of Melchizedek are the ones that are getting it directly from Abraham. So in other words, he's, what he's saying is, without getting too deep here, Jesus is bypassing all the Levite stuff and all that, and now he's the, he is the fulfillment of the, all, everything of the law of, Mo, of Abraham. And he is a priest of Melchizedek. That's who the Melchizedek priests are. Okay? When, what,
3: when, when Saul joins the band of prophets, isn't that band of prophets simply a designation for all the Melchizedek priests and holders?
0: Well, here's what's amazing about this. Uh, Because you say, isn't isn't that a demonstration of all the priesthood holders? And in this case, priesthood holders, the holders of Melchizedek priesthood, would include who? Gentiles. Gentiles. So to Corinth, and to Ephesus, and to Thessalonica, and all these places, he's saying to a Gentile who has been pagan all of his life and been involved in all of that and now you join the way and you become part of the body of Christ, you too can be a priest of Melchizedek. That, and if you're one of the Jews living in, let's say you're a Jew in the synagogue in Corinth and, and he's out here going, you know what, I get that you guys are Jews and the Levites, they got to borrow their own blood. They got to use other blood. The Melchizedek priesthood holders had their high priest used his own blood. He's the Melchizedek, and you guys can also be Melchizedek priesthood holders. If you're a Jew in Corinth in the synagogue, and he's telling the pagans that they can join the way and become Melchizedek priest holders, what's your response? Get a rod. <laughs> get Paul get Paul in here we're going to beat him up with the rod and Paul says that happened to me five times <laughs> he got literally beaten by the rod five times because this is where he's going where pagans can be priests and they and the shekinah and the power rests in the body of the people not in a building in Jerusalem well though that's them fighting words. So, the church. Now, so he's going to take it, and Paul's going to take it one step farther. Do you not understand you are God's temple, and the Spirit of God dwells in you? <laughs> he's just going to say it. Where's the temple? Right here, in this little house. In some cases, presided over by women, which is kind of cool. These little house churches. right? Okay. 2 we, Corinthians, for we are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I will make my dwelling among them and I will walk among them and I am their God and they are my people. Oh, oh, where did he get that? Where's that phrase come from? Exodus. You got... Paul knows his Old Testament so well. That when he's going to write to them, suddenly he's taking this Exodus phrase from Sinai and he's going to say, and God, just like he said in Sinai, is going to say to you sitting here in Ephesus in your little house church, I am their God and they are my people.
2: So the people that Paul was writing to, Gentiles, Uh when they when they joined the church and became Christians, uh-huh. how much of the Old Testament did they learn and accept?
0: If you're a pagan, you've never read the Torah. You, you, you know, it's nice as the Septuagint's in Greek, and you could read it if you want, but for the most part, no. That's why, as they were really rocking and rolling, they, they needed to get some of the words here. But remember, at the moment that this is being written... In uh, in Second Corinthians, so this is like this is like 52 A.D. There's still no written book of Mark. There's still no Matthew. There's still no John. That's two decades away. And then listen closely, because this is this this is, uh, of everything. I think this is kind of the coolest part. And while he's saying we are the temple of the living God, when was the temple of Herod destroyed? Seventy. Sixty-six. Okay. The temple of Herod still stands. The temple of Herod is still there. And and Paul is saying to this little group in Corinth, you are the temple. A shift has occurred. You hold the Shekinah. You hold the power. You are priests of Melchizedek. You are the temple.
1: They're also adopted. Yeah. They're not really pagans and uh, not anymore. House anymore.
0: No. The house unless, unless you are, unless you are Jewish, and then they will always be Greek and always be pagan, and and you're never going to let them forget that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Implicit in that second part of the verse
3: is the inference that he's calling them out of Egypt. He's calling them out of the wilderness.
0: Thank you thank you. Absolutely is. And so we are going to pull them out of the world in a sense, and we're going to bring you to this thing, and you're going to be filled with the power of God, and I have rescued you just like I rescued. And by the way, are we going to bring them across the Red Sea? We're going to walk them through the water to the other side? Sure. Through what? Baptism. (laughs) Baptism is. Baptism is that Traversing the Red Sea and coming up on the other side and being his people on the other side, and then being filled with the power of God when you get there. Okay.
2: So then the Judaizers who were coming up and yeah ruining things there, they were in essence kind of trying to. Okay, these are the conditions now. We're going to bring these people back to the temple.
0: Yes, absolutely. Yeah, she's talking about the Judaizers. They're they're these rigorites, and they're coming from Jerusalem, and they're beginning to stalk Paul from town to town, because he would come in and do all of this, and then they would come in behind and say, you're not supposed to be eating with the Gentiles, and the temple's still there. Oh my gosh, if you guys keep doing this, the temple's going to get destroyed. We need to bring you back. this This is bad. Get a rod. <laughs> beat, beat Paul up again, <laughs> quick! He's out of he's out of control here, uh, and this is what got to Peter uh, in 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 Galatia, where Peter goes, "I will eat with the Gentiles." Okay, I won't eat with the Gentiles, and then Paul calls him out in front of the church. You hypocrite! <laughs> that phew, it's t- Galatians four is great stuff. Um, Paul is really angry. Okay. So we've got, oh, we've got like five minutes, okay. I've only got about 30 slides left. Now, uh, okay, so, one, so let me kind of wrap towards this. Um, Revelations 21. This is, this is The right, we think it was John. Uh, may not be the same John as wrote John. Uh, we're not sure. A whole different language. And I saw the holy city the new Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then then he describes in great detail the beauty and the stones of every gate and all it's just this beautiful massive city. But look at what he says. And this sent me spinning for about 2 days. <laughs> I did not see a temple in the city. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city doesn't need the sun or moon to light it. The glory of God lights it, and its lamp is the Lamb. Now, that temple coming out of heaven, or that city coming out of, according to as the the writer of John Revelations is looking at this, he's not seeing a temple, because the Lamb is the temple. Now, let, let me harken back real quickly uh, in the time that we've got remaining. Uh, we have this fascinating moment in, uh, that we talked about a couple of years ago in, in 3 Nephi 17, where Jesus is going to come uh, after, after the destruction and everything. He comes to the Nephites, and he comes to the city of Bountiful where there's a temple. Okay. And then he's going to gather all of the people, and then he teaches them the, law, the, the uh, sermon on, at the temple. And they go through all of this. And then remember, he's going to leave, and they, and they yearn for him to stay, so he stays. And then he does an interesting thing. He then says, okay, I will heal everybody. Then I'm going to stand here. And this is outside of the temple. There's no way to get all these people in the temple. He's, he's not in the temple at this moment. He's out teaching. Okay, he stands in the middle. Then he surrounds, who does he then have stand right next to him, around him? The children. Who's right behind the children? Angels. Angels. And who's right behind the angels? Everybody else. Can you see what he just did? He created a temple. And he created a temple in that moment right where he stood. He's got the Holy of Holies, him, the cleansed, and this is the children. They are the holy place. It's a tripart temple. Holy of Holies, children, the angels guarding like the veil kind of thing. They're there. And who's on the outside of that? Everybody else. Okay? Court of the Gentiles kind of thing, okay? It's a three-part temple. And Jesus can do it wherever he goes. Wherever he goes, there is a temple. And, and there's power. And then, the, and then the Shekinah descends on the whole group, and they're all filled with the glory of God. Isn't that, isn't that cool? So I don't know whether... He, so, so based on that, I don't know if the New Jerusalem, the, the one that's coming out of heaven, I don't know whether it'll have a temple or not. It might... I mean, in our parlance, we've got, well, you got to build around temples. That's what we do. And it so probably does. I just think it's the imagery that's being used is there doesn't necessarily need to be a temple when you have God in your midst because he becomes that temple, which is kind of an interesting concept this, uh, that I still don't have answers to. This is what sent me spinning. Yeah.
3: It occurs to me that
0: Yeah, it is. it's the celestial kingdom is about relationships. It's not about when, when the buildings. When
3: or when they say that you enter into that kingdom to go no more out, uh, if you're going to do the work that the father and the son do, you may have to go to a sacred grove, which is in a celestial place. But you never leave your body.
0: Right. Your body is the
3: celestial kingdom at that point.
0: Right. You know what I'm saying? Right.
3: And the distinction between you and all other beings is as obvious as the distinction between the plant kingdom and the animal kingdom.
0: Yeah. Is that clear for those who are there? Sure, that are there, absolutely. By the way, it just occurs to me, uh, and I had n- I thought of it until you mentioned it. What happened in the, during the uh, first vision? What happened in the sacred grove? He's standing there, he walks in there, Here comes God, he's surrounded by fire and burning, and he's gonna stand there, and Joseph says, I was brought into it. Like Paul says, I don't know if I was in the body or out of the body, okay? He's gonna be brought in, into this glory. What's just happened in the grove? It becomes a temple for that period of time. God can create a temple wherever he goes. I think it's cool, so. All right, is that plenty? (laughs) we, We swimming yet? Uh, okay. Uh, let's see. I've got. I think. What else I got here? <laughs> okay. Have we exhausted this, or is it all? I mean, if we if we get into some of this next week, is that okay? Okay. I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to burn you out on this. But but there's an awful lot in terms of how Jesus then approached the temple and what he did within the environs of the temple, that I think kind of goes hand in hand with this. But yeah. Uh, yes, ma'am. This time you're not scratching this time? Okay. Well, I was
2: raised Baptist and we were taught
3: that we were the temple of God.
0: And yeah, yeah, they, and they get it from Paul.
2: Yes. So I'm trying to reconcile why did we start building physical temples if we are the
0: temple of God? In terms of modern day? Yeah. Ah, okay. Hold on to that. <laughs> hold on to that because I think that is the because now you have to look at what, what Joseph Smith was actually restoring and bringing back but in a sense we haven't lost the idea nor should we lose the idea that we are, we are the, the temple and that he can create a temple wherever he goes Because great question Okay, Whew. good stuff isn't it uh, can you see why, see why we're just kind of wading around in here having a good time um there is, um, I, I will bear you my testimony that, uh, that there is great power in our temples. There was great power even in, in a temple gone dark, as you Nibley would call it. When you walk the streets of, of Jerusalem, you recognize that you're in a place that, that, that's not of this world. Okay, it's different. There's something different there. It's been sanctified. Um, But I have a testimony that we can begin to have those experiences, and I pray that we can have those kind of experiences even this weekend, where we'll just open up our hearts and kind of let in as we get new knowledge. Uh, And I leave that with you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Deb, can we call you for a closing prayer?